Managing your 401k is hard. Bloom isn't. See what you could be doing to make your 401k better by getting a free analysis at bloom401k.com/fool. That's bloom with 3 o's 401k.com/fool. It's Tuesday, June 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and thankfully, I'm joined in the studio by Jeff Fisher. Hey, Chris. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, too. Thanks for being here. Um, Jeff's here in the studio. On the other side of the glass, our man Dan Boyd has returned from Ireland. And we will be, yes, we're happy to see Dan. Austin Morgan doing phenomenal double duty the last couple of weeks. But uh, don't worry. We'll be going to Dan at the end of this episode. We'll be getting the details for those of you who are on Twitter and saw what Dan did in Ireland last mm-hmm. week. Very exciting. Um, let's start. We got to start once again with Harley Davidson, which <laughs> continues to be in the spotlight. Yesterday, we talked about Harley Davidson looking to move production outside the U.S. because of the tariffs from the EU, um, adding twenty-two hundred dollars per motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And this morning, President Trump. Going on Twitter and threatening Harley Davidson and saying, and I'm quoting here, if they move, it will be the beginning of the end. They will be taxed like never before. And I saw this, Jeff, and I just, I just sort of shook my head and said, yeah, we knew, we we called this. We called this just a couple weeks after the election. He is threatening Harley, just like he threatened the Motley Fool back in the late '90s. That's true. You were there when we were short his stock, and he said, you. Are going to be so wrong. We're going to refinance the debt, and the stock's going to soar. So that, but, did, that didn't, by the way, that didn't work. Didn't out. didn't didn't work. They they did go bankrupt, yeah. but he persuaded us to close the short. We had a, a nice gain, sixty percent gain on it, I think, and we closed it. Harley, though, so twenty two hundred extra dollars per bike. These tariffs would cost if Harley made them in Minnesota. Then ship them to the EU because of the new EU tariffs on them. Uh, that amounts to Chris about eighty-eight million dollars a year in lost revenue to Harley, which already is going to would they say decrease their earnings per share the next year by five or six percent, which is a large amount. If you start talking about earnings per share, you know, flattening out for just say the S and P five hundred or many companies. Let alone going down, the stock market will not be a pretty place for quite a while. So, yeah, they're they're looking to move productions overseas. Some production they make Europe is their second largest market. I think it's about fifteen percent and growing and growing nicely. So, move some production there to serve that market makes sense. And the 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 tax threat. uh, The tweet said uh, one of the tweets, not threaded, but. After it or before it, <laughs> there were several tweets about Harley Davidson this morning. If they think they can make bikes overseas and bring them back, they'll be taxed extremely when they bring them back. Well, that's not Harley's plan. They'll keep a lot of they'll keep the U.S. production in the U.S. and and have some in in Europe as well. And earlier, when I said you know we said this was going to happen, what I'm referring to, and longtime listeners may remember this. Within the first few weeks after Donald Trump was elected president, so late November, early December of 2016, when he was before he was sworn in and he was taking to Twitter and he was attacking uh, Amazon and you know and just all these different companies, one of the things we talked about on this podcast was look at your portfolio. Everybody, look at your portfolio, and just know that for the next four years. For any reason, this could happen to any stock you own. 
just the the president just taking to Twitter and for whatever whim he has decides I'm just going to take a shot at this public company for slights real and imagined I'm going to attack this company and the stock will drop. It's fairly unprecedented. That's that's certainly true and it's whether you're little red hen or Harley Davidson. Yeah, if you're the, yeah, you can if be any size. If you're a small restaurant in rural Virginia or you're a public company, you know, managing an iconic American brand, it you know, it could happen to you. Uh, it could be kind of fun if you're a president and you like this morning, my coffee from Pete's Coffee on 7th Street Northwest was not hot enough. Those guys are un-American. I mean, hey, it could be. Um, well, let's talk about the trade deficit, which is the target of of what's happening right now, and a lot of concern in the stock market too, because of the tariffs that are happening. It's a it's a tough battle to be sure, because the U.S. total trade deficit as of last year was only 2.8 percent of our GDP, so it's small. It's only about 500 billion dollars, and China is around 70 percent of that deficit. Uh, so, uh, rightly so, the focus is on China. But keep in mind, the U.S. has a $19 trillion economy GDP, and China has $12 trillion. So, our, our economy is much larger. You would expect a trade deficit with basically almost every country in the world, given that we have the largest economy by a multiple compared to most countries. So, we're going to be able to buy a lot more than we sell to these countries. You have to keep in mind, China, for years, has bought U.S. treasuries and supported us in other ways other than just trade. Um, so if your relations turn south, they could start to let our debt uh, interest rates rise. They could do all sorts of other things if they're unhappy with us. But it's a small number. And so to make it the battleground is is tricky because there are all these so many studies show that if you put tariffs on on products, you're very likely to lose more jobs than you gain, at least the way we're doing them right now. So we put tariffs, the US put tariffs on steel and aluminum and whatnot. But the number of jobs in this country that produce steel, say, is only, it's fewer than 20,000. Well, the number of jobs affected by steel prices going up is in the hundreds of thousands. So when your input costs are going up and you only output a little bit of the commodity, it's a net loss. So it's a tricky game. Um, I think it is important to try to uh, to decrease the consumer electronics or just electronics in general kind of pirating that is all over China. Absolutely, uh, definitely, I agree with that. It's tricky. Um, this is one way to try to put the squeeze on China, but it's it's and Europe and everyone else. It, it's it's. But the repercussions. But yeah, if you're the CEO of Harley Davidson, you're like, what? What did I do? <laughs> exactly. Or if you're, you know, soybeans or uh, right. bourbon, bourbon. Jeez. Uh, the repercussions could be could reverberate for some time to come. We're just starting to see them trickle out with Harley lowering its earnings guidance, for instance. Also, so. just a little bit surprising when you look at in the years before he was president, uh, the merchandise. Uh, that was produced that uh, bore Donald Trump's name. Uh, most of it was made overseas, so you know there is that too. Uh, let's move on to General Electric and uh, some good news for General Electric uh, and its shareholders. Uh, GE stock having its best day in three years. Up on the news that actually a lot of news, but I guess first and foremost, General Electric is spinning off its healthcare unit. The company also said it plans to eventually, over the next couple of years, divest its stake in Baker Hughes, which is the oil services company. But um, 
What What did you think of this move when you saw it this morning? So, the portfolio is changing, as GE's CEO put it, and I think that's a good way to to look at it. They have a portfolio of companies. <laughs> that's also that's also in some ways a huge understatement. Just I, I mean, yes, it's changing today. Just in the brief tenure of of John Flannery. <laughs> That is a massive understatement. <laughs> a sprawling portfolio, and they're going to focus, uh, and it's going to take time, around its power and aviation and renewable energy business. So, Chris, as you said, they're going to slowly move away from oil and gas and focus more on power turbines, aviation, which is one division that's doing well, and renewable energy, where they think there's, there's a lot more growth ahead. I think it's going to be a long road to get there. They still have their struggling finance division, which they didn't talk about today that I saw. And they have a net hundred billion in debt. Uh, S and P is warning that their debt could be downgraded. Um, these moves will cut revenue by less than half. They're looking to focus on on business units that now account for a bit more than half of revenue, and a bigger portion of of net income and profits, which is smart. But the the bigger change that that I like is that the the plan is going to move from being very centrally managed to a much more Buffett style. Each division gets to manage itself. For decades, they've been managed from the top, even though they're a sprawling conglomeration spread all around the world. And I think, if anything, points to how poorly that can work compared to how well diversified management works. It would be compare GE's return over the past 10, 20 years to Buffett's return. As we all know, Buffett's very decentralized. He lets each business run itself. And so GE is moving in that direction. And then the head office, which is getting much smaller, is going to think more strategically and capital allocation and not so day to day, hands on. That should be taken care of at the direct company level. Uh, I think it's a great move. And, and presumably, beyond the fact that you're going to have uh, this decentralized decision making at General Electric, you're also uh, presumably going to get greater transparency into how those uh, that would be good. How those units are uh, doing uh, on the profit side, and as you said, I mean, you look at their aviation division. That's that's one of, if not the best performing division at GE. Mm-hmm. Um, the power plant, you know, the power business it has really struggled. So I would expect that over the next couple of years, what we'll see is. Um, potentially some changes there, whether it's um, further divesting from that unit um, or potentially taking uh, some of the cash that they have um, and looking to acquire other divisions. Because I, I don't think, and I love, I, we were talking this morning, and I've said this on the podcast for months now, I think General Electric, just as a company to watch, is the most interesting it's been. In 25 years, easily, and I think that's because of John Flannery and and the fact that he went in there as CEO and basically said there are no sacred cows here, and I'm going to look at everything and everything is is on the table in terms of whether or not we're going to increase investment or just cut it all together. And it's because Chris, you have a dark side that likes to see things be dismantled, <laughs> dismembered. <laughs> It's it's not so much that, I mean I have a dark side. It has little to do with no, with, with with corporate structure, um, 
But but I I am always interested to see um, with these larger conglomerates, and we've seen it for years play out with Procter and Gamble. Is sort of okay. What's working? You know, Procter and Gamble at one point they had over a hundred separate you know brands that they were managing. Mm-hmm. They're not all performing at the same level. So how do they decide? What to cut and what to double down on, and that sort of thing. And I think in the case of GE, I don't expect Flannery over the next three years to methodically make this a smaller and smaller company, as some people have theorized. I think mm-hmm. at some point he's going to, with this greater transparency, look at these divisions and say, okay, yeah, this is where we need to be making further investments. Yeah, I agree, Chris. And that is very interesting to me and, and probably to most of us listening, because we're portfolio managers ourselves, and that's really what he's doing. And but but the company will end up being much smaller for quite a while, maybe roughly half its size. And when they sell the this when they spin off the health business, it's very likely they'll need to lower the dividend again because their income just won't support the current dividend. So investors should be aware that the dividend, which is around three point six percent, I believe, is likely going lower. Uh, you still have surprising losses in the long-term insurance business that pop up here and again. So that business is still not well run, uh, in my opinion. Um, GE Capital Lending is still kind of a black box. So yeah, there's a lot that still needs to come to light. It's still going to it's going to be messy. It's going to get much smaller. You can't count on the dividend staying where it is. And again, there's that hundred billion dollars in net debt. So that does limit how much more they can acquire and how aggressive they can be in trying to go after market share, and be innovative, etc. So they they almost have to focus on the few things that are going well for them. Aviation is one of them. Imagine if if they started to lose their 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 edge in that business that would so they're doing everything to avoid losing that edge. They need to focus on their strengths and go from there. Would I own the stock? I don't. I don't plan to. Um, I think it's a really interesting case study, though. It entered the Dow in 1907. And now, as of today, it left. Right. So this is a bit of history right here, Chris. Right. And and again, just to go back to the people who make the this, and I don't know who these people are, but the people who decided GE's got to go and Walgreens is the one we want. Today is Walgreens' first day in the Dow. It's GE's first day out of the Dow. And um, last time I looked, uh, Walgreens was uh, in the red, and GE was having its best. It was up seven percent. <laughs> it was having its best day in three years. So yeah, do you think GE? Well, well timed, everybody at the Dow Committee. Well done. I think GE had to have timed this announcement last night to like we'll show the Dow. Yes, and to good for them. Take the pressure off. Good for them. I like, by the way, how you how you refer to the fact that we are all portfolio managers, and mm-hmm. I think that 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 that's one of those things that I think the average. Listener doesn't necessarily think of himself or herself as a portfolio manager, but if you're investing in stocks, or just you've got you know your 401k plan, yeah, you actually are. Yeah, once you own three, four, five, six stocks or a 401k plan with however many holdings, you're managing that portfolio. And in Motley Fool Pro, which I manage, we have 25 long investments, and we're struggling with a couple of them almost always. And so you're always thinking, what do we do with that one or that one? And that's GE in a nutshell, just a slightly larger, <laughs> just slightly and with larger. a lot of jobs uh, at stake. Speaking of 401k plans, thanks to Bloom for supporting today's episode. Um, do you have a 401k? Do you remember how frustrating it was deciding what to invest in? On that first day on the job, when you didn't have professional help, well, now there's a better way to grow your 401k, and that's with Bloom with three O's. Bloom is a simple, smart, and affordable way to grow your 401k. You go to bloom401k.com/fool. 
and then you simply connect your existing 401k in a few easy steps, and then you sit back and relax while Bloom performs an unbiased analysis of the funds in your account and chooses the best mix to meet your goals while minimizing hidden investment fees. Getting your investments right does not have to be hard or painful or time-consuming. Bloom only takes five minutes, and then your retirement is set until you cancel, and they link to your existing 401k so you don't have to move your money. Because moving your money is a gigantic pain in the butt. Bloom is so simple that the hardest thing about it is remembering that there are three O's in the name Bloom. So go to bloom401k.com/fool, enter the promo code Fool for your first month free, and see the difference that Bloom could make in your retirement. Last week on Motley Fool Money, we talked about Starbucks because Starbucks had a bad week last week, just in terms of. Uh, lowering guidance, announcing that they were going to be closing 150 company-owned stores mm-hmm. next year, which is roughly three times as many as they typically close. And and today, Starbucks is hitting a three-year low, um, leading to a bunch of people on Twitter, uh, on Facebook, because uh, Motley Fool Podcasts um, has a Facebook group that anyone can join if they want. Um, leading people to ask, sort of like, okay, where are we now? Where? Are we? So when you look at Starbucks, this is a company. Do you own shares? I do. Okay. I mean, when you look at this company right now, what do you see? Because the as a longtime shareholder, just in terms of the company-owned stores and the closing, that's one of those decisions that I look at and I say, "All right, Kevin Johnson, I trust you on this. I certainly don't want underperforming stores out there." And I, you know, it's not that stores should be once they're open, they stay open forever. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little, uh, if it didn't give me pause that uh, we're not just closing the usual number of stores, we're going 3x. One thing to keep in mind is new CEO, and the new CEO is going to want to step in and, and start to take charge and show how things are going to be different. And closing stores, part of the reason they're closing more stores, in my opinion, they didn't say this, but is because same store sales are suffering. So, one way to Give those a little bit of stability is to close some closely dense, densely populated stores or ones that are obviously not doing as well as possible. But when you have as many stores as Starbucks does have, the number of clo- closures every year are, is a given, and the number of them will fluctuate. But yeah, Chris, you're right. That is 150 is is not a massive amount given the store count. It's surprising that in the past it's been so low as 50. So that 3x jump does. The 3x number is scary, but the absolute number isn't. And I think it's just Starbucks realizing we have the same store problem in the U.S., and uh, we have a new CEO who's going to be a little more aggressive at managing the the, the weaker store store locations. What do you think investors should be watching with Starbucks over, say, the next six months beyond <laughs> beyond being on the lookout for further announcements like this? Is there is there a metric we should be watching in particular beyond same store sales? Man, you know that's a great question, Chris. And so I hate to completely just ignore it. <laughs> be but, like that. <laughs> but I think I will because. Uh, like you, I'm a long-time Starbucks shareholder. I haven't added to the stock for years, and maybe 10 years or longer, um, because that's how I feel about it. It's a middle-aged company, I would say, and nothing against middle-aged. I was going to say, we're both middle-aged. <laughs> let's, let's not come down nothing on middle-aged. We can be pretty energetic and keep improving all the time. But uh, in the U.S., anyway, that's where investors are focused, and the same store sales Story there is going to, I think, 
suffer for a while. It was so strong for so long. We remember just a few years ago, eight percent, nine percent, and now it's flat, low single digits. And the challenge of getting that to grow again is is significant. It would take at least a few years. So the next six months, I'm just hoping same store sales in the U.S. are stable, even if that's near flat. And that the China story keeps playing out. China, of course, is talked about all the time now. But as large as it is for Starbucks already, and as large as it will be, so far it isn't yet enough to move the income needle. Uh, so the U.S. is still really the bottom line, and so that's why investors react to the U.S. But over time, China will become much more meaningful. And the great thing about China is the store economics there are such that they don't have to do as well volume-wise as U.S. stores. Absolute dollar-wise, to do as well or better on the margins, the way the store economics are, it just takes time to get there. That is good. I was reminded of something recently, and this and this sort of ties into, I think, um, and we're talking about Starbucks, but we could be talking about any company if you have a long enough time horizon. Um, I was um, chatting with uh, Allison Southwick, who uh, is one of the hosts of our Motley Fool Answers podcast, which absolutely uh, people should check out if they haven't already. Um, Allison is putting together. Um, because uh, this weekend uh, marks uh, the 25th anniversary of when uh, David and Tom Gardner and their friend Eric Rideholm put together the finishing touches on the very first monthly newsletter mm-hmm. of The Motley Fool and stuck it in the mail and sent it out to people. I have one of those. Do you issues. really? Yep. Should I put it on eBay? I was no. I was going to say. I was going to say put it under glass because that's. I mean, oh yeah, it's protected. Um, I'll keep it. So Allison was putting together sort of um, uh, some highlights of the last twenty-five years, and one of them had to do with uh, Starbucks and a television appearance that David and, and Tom did, um, uh, where they were talking about Starbucks, and it and this was in nineteen ninety-nine when it when it took a dip, and it and you may recall it dropped for very good reasons because Howard Schultz got on the conference call. When they had reported whatever earnings they reported, and I don't even remember what the results were. I just remember that the results were rendered immaterial because once Howard Schultz started the conference call, he started talking about how Starbucks wasn't really uh, didn't really think of itself as a coffee company. They, Starbucks was more of a lifestyle portal, mm. and he was talking about Starbucks.com where. Instead of going and buying coffee and coffee makers, you could buy high-end furniture and all this stuff. And basically, they were going to they were going to be a dot com, and rightfully so. Analysts freaked out, and the stock dropped about thirty percent right. the next day. But you know, Allison's got the chart there, and you know, I remember that day. That was terrible. That was horrible. It was like, oh my god, has Howard Schultz lost his mind? But when you have the benefit of 20 years of time, and you look, when you look at that chart now, you're like, oh, there's a little dip. Mm-hmm. Now, in the month of July for 1999, it's a massive dip. Right. But just, you know, when you spread it out over a long period of time, you're like, oh, yeah, there was, there was that dip. Yeah, Chris, I love that perspective. You can do that with Amazon, too. We lived through the ups and downs of Amazon oh. in its early years, 30, 40% swings month to month. And now you look at the chart, and that was nothing. It was nothing. Uh, but Starbucks, speaking of the price, it's as inexpensive as it has been since, on my chart, since 2008, 2009, since the Great Recession. It trades now at uh, 20 times estimated earnings for the next 12 months, which isn't cheap, but for a company of this uh, of this size and maturity, size and yeah, and still growing earnings by a, a healthy 10ish percent annualized, more or less. Um, 
higher than that, really. It's uh, so it's not inexpensive, especially for a retailer, but it's also not outrageous. It's it's well down from the the multiples it was at a few years ago, uh, unfortunately, uh, and the stock has basically gone nowhere. So. Um, I don't know if that says that you should buy shares if you don't have any, or keep the shares you have because they're at a ten-year low. But uh, if you believe in the business, that's always what it comes down to. Well, it's it's a it, it's a good uh, perspective to have because certainly it's been the case where we've been in this room talking about stocks that have dropped, and despite whatever the drop is on a given day or in a given month or even over a two-three year period, you look at it. On a valuation basis, and you say, "Yeah, this thing got cut in half, and it's still really expensive." Yep, true. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was, I don't know what I, what I was going to wrap up with there, but uh, you know what we're going to wrap up with? Our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd. Oh, perfect. Because that's what the people want to hear. Because Dan <laughs> went on vacation, a well-deserved vacation to Ireland, uh, with his girlfriend Danielle. And if you were on Twitter last week or were listening last week, uh, you know that uh, Dan popped a question. Well done, sir. Thank you, <laughs> Dan. Do you want to talk about this? Do you, do you want to share it with the world already? I, I mean, I'll share some details, <laughs> not all, not all of them. So um, you were in Ireland. You were out in the the beautiful countryside. Yeah, in County Clare, uh, on the west coast of Ireland. And she had no idea this was coming. No, she did not. She was. Uh, she told me after the fact that she had thought there was maybe like a twenty percent chance. <laughs> That it would happen on this trip. That's not uh, a big percentage. No, no. So uh, I was feeling pretty good at the uh, at the reaction I got from the whole thing. Nice. Um, normally, when uh, people go on a trip and they come back, one of the things I ask them is if they had any business observations uh, from their trip. So I don't I don't know if that's appropriate given that, because any business observation you have, while valid, pales in comparison to the fact that that uh, you you pop the question to. Uh, to your bride to be, that's interesting. Actually, uh, there's a lot of talk in Ireland right now about how young people in Ireland are actually staying in Ireland and working there instead of leaving to find jobs in the U.S. or the rest of Europe. Uh, and one of the things that contributes to that is their very low corporate tax in Ireland. So a lot of companies come to Ireland to have their headquarters and stay there and have you know, large workforces in Ireland. Uh, so, there, there is a lot of talk about economics and business in Ireland right now. That's cool. Did you and, did you and Danielle talk about that a lot? No, uh, <laughs> though, though one of our, uh, we went on a, a, a bus tour on the Ring of Kerry, and the driver spent about 15 minutes talking about the uh, impact of the 2008 recession on Ireland, and then all the uh, things that Ireland had to do as a country uh, to get the uh, European Union to uh, bail them out. Well, congrats, my friend. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's great news. Uh, Jeff Fisher, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for allowing me to. <laughs> As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about in the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.